south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. Let's start with a story that's close to my own heart. And I'll translate the title of this little news blurb. It says, Expat Arrested in Road Rage Incident. Once again, we're talking about a situation in Ecuador where there are tons of gringos. It's the number one retirement destination it has been anyway, as reported by the RAG International Living for many years now. And where gringos pile in, incidents like this will happen. It starts out by saying a U.S. citizen and a permanent Ecuador resident were arrested Thursday morning in what transit police call a case of road rage. In Spanish, rabia in la calle. The incident happened at Avenue Las Americas and Grand Colombia Redondel on Cuenca, Ecuador's west side. One John Allen M., they don't give his last name, was taken into custody following a brief altercation with police during which he was subdued with pepper spray. <laughs> police say American John Allen M., who was driving a large pickup truck, forced a motorist and his wife off Las Americas Road and onto the sidewalk in a right-of-way dispute. According to witnesses at the scene, John L&M pulled the unidentified driver out of his car and began beating him. <laughs> when the driver's wife came to the man's assistance, John Allen hit her in the face and pulled her to the sidewalk by her hair. Oh, man, I would have loved to have seen that. All right, me, Johnny, here. You know, I wonder what's going to happen to that guy. Though, I have to say, but for the grace of Allah, I could have been that guy many, many times. There have been countless times when some idiot drivers pulled some kind of crazy-ass, even dangerous move where I've raised my voice, blown my stack, felt like getting out of the car and beating the hell out of them. Though I have yelled out the window and flipped the hook a few times. I've never let an incident like that escalate to the point of violence. Because really, especially here in Latin America, where's that going to get you? Since the idiot you're potentially picking a fight with has a lot less to lose than you do. And believe me, that's the first thought that should go into your head when some idiot pulls a move on the highway. Though I'd have to say us gringos and expats are many times more prone to road rage than Latinos because we, Americans, are much more likely to follow the transit laws. And when some idiot driver breaks those laws right in front of us, often causing a dangerous situation, our blood just boils. Well, some of us go ballistic anyway. We're used to good behavior on the road and a semblance of order. Not that we're more cultured than Latino drivers, just that cops and cameras won't cut you any slack. They'll catch you and fine you. Whereas down here in Latin America, driving is not for the faint of heart. You could break transit laws by the hundreds and still never get a fine. Here's a good example. Just a couple of days ago, a fresh green gringo came down, told me he was going to rent a car. He asked me what it was like to drive down here. He'd flown in the day before, around 11 at night, when the traffic was minimal so he didn't get to see how people drive during the day. I tried to give him some idea of what it was like to drive down here by asking him a simple question. I said, when was the last time you saw someone run a red light in your town? He thought for a second and said, I don't know, I can't really remember. Regular people just don't do that. Cops and ambulances maybe, but not regular people. Though 
He said there's a thing called the Chicago Roll. He's from Chicago, obviously. That means rolling through an intersection when the light turns yellow. He said certain strict cops will nail you for that one, so it's not recommended. Well, then I said down here in Latin America, it's not unusual to see a dozen or more idiots a day running red lights and stop signs. That includes taxis, public buses, everyone. Well, I take that back. Not everyone. I said, come to think of it personally, I don't think I've ever seen a woman, a lady, run a red light or a stop sign. That says a lot, doesn't it? The ladies are more reserved and less in a hurry. It's shit for brains macho guys who are always breaking the transit laws. Come to think of it, you almost never see a woman drinking a beer in a car either. It's always a young adult macho guy. And the younger the driver, the more foolish and stupid he is. So, I highly recommend you leave your road rage back in Milwaukee or Cleveland. But, I know, based on personal experience, that's probably not going to happen. In fact, just the other day, my girlfriend scolded me for laying on the horn too much when a car was coming at me, going the wrong way down a one-way street. Yeah, that's fairly common down here. Drives you nuts, too. You know, I try not to lay on the horn and give him the finger. Because if my girlfriend's in the car, she'll get really pissed off at me, not the other guy. That's because she's so used to seeing people go the wrong way down a one-way street that it's normal for her. But what she doesn't know is when she's not with me, I do it all the time. I'll make a point of swerving into him, scaring the shit out of him in the process. Same thing when a motorcycle's going the wrong way down a one-way street right towards me. It's my little moment of revenge, thinking the guy might learn his lesson. But guys like that have shit for brains, so they never will. You know, I need to get that release in the moment, as if I'm actually teaching the guy a lesson. So I'll lay on the horn and give him the finger. To what end? I don't know. Oh, and as for my girlfriend, she never listens to this show because she doesn't speak English. <laughs> so there's no real danger. She'll find out I have a dark side. Now, there's some gringos and expats with road rage who have their own ways of getting even. In fact, I know one, well, actually two gringos, who keep a little stash of rocks, that is, golf ball-sized rocks, within reach, right behind the driver's seat of the car. Now, this might sound evil. And evil it is, and one of the guys told me about it. It was because he got into an accident one night with a guy who had no lights whatsoever on his vehicle. Turns out, while the gringo was merging onto a poorly lit highway late one night, he broadsided a piece of shit pickup truck that had no lights at all. No headlights, no taillights, nothing. Now, of course, the guy could have had working bulbs in those light sockets. After all, replacement lamps for a car can cost upwards of a whole dollar, you know. But the dickhead in the shitbox didn't bother. Yeah, the gringo's car got banged up pretty good, and the other guy, well, it was a piece of shit anyway. What's another big dent amongst dozens? After that, that gringo told me he proceeded to carry a little stash of rocks behind the front seat of his car within reach, just in case. So that in the future, when a car or motorcycle was coming at him from the other lane with no lights at all, He'd just whip a rock at the guy, hopefully hit him and scare the hell out of him. Which, of course, it would, being pitch black and all. And me, with my own road rage problems, but not having the balls to do something like that. I said to the gringo, what if you really nail him? You break his windshield or something? Well, he gave me a devilish smile and said, that would be a win in my book. By the way, I know a couple of older gringos, both of them ex-military, living in Latin America permanently now. Both of them 60-ish years old. A couple of months ago, we were sitting together at one of those little coffee shops, and one of them said he just bought his girlfriend a new car. Gringles will do that, you know. They come down here, 
hook up with a beautiful young Latin American girlfriend and instantly yank her out of that terrible routine of taking public transportation where there's a lot of petty theft and ass pinching going on. Yep, no more chicken buses, which is the dream of every Latina girl. That's another reason we have such a gringo advantage. Latinas know we have the means to buy them a car. By all means, go ahead and do it. But my suggestion is don't buy a new car for her. That's nuts. Especially if she's never had a car before. My advice, get her something a couple of years old because she's going to beat it up. It's inevitable. She's not going to be a whiz at driving. Not for a while. Remember when you first got your license and your first car? Your dad gave you the beater. He wouldn't let you use the good one, right? Anyway, we were sitting there, us three gringos, and one of the guys said, I just bought my girlfriend a new Kia Picanto. Then the other gringo sitting with us piped in and said, you bought a brand new car? Are you nuts? He said, I learned my lesson. I bought a new car when I first came down here. Knowing how careless people are in parking lots and stuff, I thought, I'll avoid all that. I know what to do. I would always scope out a parking space far, far away with plenty of room. And I'd make sure I collapsed my side view mirrors so no one whacked them. But it never failed. I'd come back from my shopping, from the store, whatever, and some jerk would have wedged his car right up against mine. Within six months, my brand new car had 10 or 20 little dings on either side of it from people opening their car doors and bonking into me. Hell, he said, they'd do it right in front of me while I was sitting right there. A lady would get out and bang, hit my car door with hers. Most times wouldn't say a thing either, would just keep walking. Well, he said, one day I had just about enough. I watched a woman open her door into my car one too many times. She left a little dent in it and didn't show a single sign of remorse as she walked away. You know what? I repaid her little gift to me with a long scratch right down the side of her car. He said, I've got this tiny little Swiss Army knife on my keychain. It's seen lots of different paint colors since that day. Then he showed me that knife. Smallest Swiss Army knife I'd ever seen. Very cool. But he said, even for that momentary bit of satisfaction, nine out of ten times, the guy that opens his door to bang yours is driving a shitbox with multiple dents and scratches, so no extra scratch or dent will ever be noticed. Since then, I've been trying to think of a nice, stealthy way to puncture a tire without it hissing or making a noise. He said, I haven't figured out a method yet, but I'm working on it. Now, as for me, Johnny, the worst case of road rage I've ever seen occurred in Guatemala. I ran into a good friend of mine. I think it was at Price Mart, you know, Costco in the parking lot. We hadn't seen each other in a while. Turns out he'd made millions in oil field leasing in Guatemala. So he had one hell of a lot to lose if his road rage got out of control. But it seemed he didn't have the willpower to control it. Anyway, I saw him in the parking lot getting out of his brand new Toyota Hilux. Well, at least it looked brand new to me. Till I got closer and I saw there were three bullet holes in the side panel of the truck bed. I said, Mike, what happened? Three bullet holes here. He said, oh yeah, a couple of days ago, a guy cut me off on the Cotatera. He said I chased him down, pulled alongside, gave him the finger, and the guy pulled out a gun, took a few shots at me. <laughs> now, he said it with such nonchalance, you had to know he was a very seasoned and dedicated road rager. He even told me way back when in the States, he was from Illinois too, he'd gotten in a few fist fights in road rage incidents. Anyway, he said the moral of that story is when you pick a road rage fight with someone, make sure... The guy you're up against doesn't have a bigger, nicer, more jacked-up pickup truck than you have. In other words, he said, eat humble pie if you have to if the guy's got more testosterone than you do. 
By the way, I know exactly what he means. Sometimes you end up with someone tailgating you with a big old Ford F-150 tandem or Chevy Tahoe or Suburban. And they'll beep the horn or flash their lights as if to say, step on it, fool. Go faster. You're holding me back. And if you don't, if you just keep on keeping on your own way, when they get an opening, they'll blast right past you, almost sideswipe you too. That's happened to me many times. Because you see, one of the worst driving habits Latinos have is they love to tailgate. In fact, I think I mentioned on a previous show, an insurance adjuster told me that more than half of the accidents reported here in Latin America are rear-end crashes. Not to mention, he said, more than 50% of accidents reported involved alcohol consumption. Well, that figures. But one of the most interesting and crazy things I've noticed here in Latin America since I've been down here is that when you do get into a fender bender, and I've been in three or four, I'd say at least half the time, one of the two injured parties will say right off the bat, let's not get the cops or insurance companies involved. Let's figure out what this is going to cost and work it out ourselves. Sounds good, right? Not so fast. Here's a tip I found out the hard way. Even if the guy seems like he's got a nice car and has money, if he's the guy who's got to pay out because it was his fault, make sure you get the money in hand right there. Believe me, it's not enough to get the guy's plate number or even a photo of his driver's license or him or his car. As so many expats I know have found out, if the guy leaves, promising to pay you later. And of course, you'll have his address and phone number, right? Well, chances are he'll give you excuse after excuse and you'll never get your dough. And if after the fact there's no insurance or police report, no recourse. All right, moving on. Here's an email from Lois C. from Indianapolis. She says, Johnny, I've been to Mexico and Panama. At first, we stayed in resorts and hotels, and then we started staying in Airbnbs. One thing I noticed, and it bothers me, in those Airbnbs, there was never a bathtub, a so-called tina in Spanish. Always showers, no bathtubs. What's that all about, Johnny? Don't middle or upper middle class people in Latin America take baths? I can understand maybe poor people don't have access to a bathtub, just a shower. In the U.S., it seems everyone's got a bathtub in the house. I know for me and a lot of women I know, taking a long, hot bath once in a while is a necessity in life. I'd hate to think if we retired south of the border and we bought a place or rented, I'd never have a long, hot bubble bath again. Signed, Lois from Indianapolis. Well, thanks for that, Lois. And you're right. Here in Latin America, bathtubs are not to be seen in most houses. Though it seems the older the house or older the residential tower, the more likely it'll have a bathtub and, believe it or not, a bidet in the house too. But I'm talking about houses, apartments, and residential towers that are over 30 years old. Now, suppose you buy an apartment and it doesn't have a bathtub. No problem, you could always convert one of the shower stalls. All the big plumbing supply and hardware stores have bathtubs. They sell them here. Though, good luck finding a cast iron one. They're all plastic acrylic types. Oh, and if you build a house, do tell the contractor you want a bathtub. If you don't, nine out of ten times you won't get one. There'll be showers everywhere, but no bathtub. By the way, how many of you listeners out there have bidets in your house? I know it's not an American thing, but now they're selling these bidet adapters you can put on any toilet. Have you seen those? Actually, it's a bidet seat adapter. And really, they're very efficient, sanitary, and a very good idea, actually. Though you have to get used to a stream of water blasting your backside after you do your thing. In fact, I bought one of those things from Amazon for two reasons, actually. For hygiene purposes and the fact, 
and you can look this up, that the average person in the United States uses 120 rolls of toilet paper a year. So I guess that means if you get a bidet in the States, you could sell your butthole carbon credits to Bill Gates or Leonardo DiCaprio or some other hypocrite fraud like Bono. Man, I hate Bono. What a sacrifice and save the world, but not me. Pompous ass. By the way, do you remember that Bono story? You can look it up. Apparently, he has a favorite hat. He must have it during every gig. Or he believes the gig just won't go right. Well, one time when he was in the UK. So the story goes, and there are lots of witnesses to it. He couldn't find that favorite hat. Then he remembered he left it in a hotel back in New York. Well, guess what? He sent his private jet to New York to pick up that hat. Some tree hugger, huh? Man, I'll tell you, all those Hollywood and entertainment global warming hypocrites and their private jets, don't they make you sick? Eco-hypocrites, I call them. One of the worst ones, though, and people don't talk about this because he's sort of an international, saintly, untouchable rock icon, that'd be Paul McCartney. I remember going to a concert of his at Soldier Field in Chicago many years ago, probably 35, 36 years ago now. They gave everyone who attended a free vegan cookbook written by his wife at the time, Linda Eastman. Oh, and they also gave everyone, and there were tens of thousands of people there, a free McCartney concert big cigarette lighter souvenir. So we could all sway to the music under the soft, gentle, torchlight flame of those plastic, 100% petroleum-based big lighters, which, when they burn, produce water vapor, and guess what? That devilishly evil gas, CO2. Paradoxically, Plants thrive in CO2. They can't live without it. Meanwhile, vegans who eat nothing but plant products seem to despise CO2. They want to eliminate it at all costs. Hey, read a science book, why don't you? And make up your mind. Anyway, I'm all for having a more hygienic butt and saving 120 rolls of toilet paper a year per person. So, that bidet thing, I'm going to give it the old Yankee truck. And I want to hear from you listeners out there. How many of you guys and gals are using bidets right now? I don't mean exactly right now while you're listening to this show, but who knows? Maybe you are. So, have you tried one or not? After all, you can buy one of those adapters for something like 50 bucks or less. Are they catching on up there by you, or are they just another anti-social media fad? When you really think about it, which most people don't want to do, that covid thing got millions, even billions of people freaked out about sanitizing their hands multiple times per day. Anyway, they thought they were sanitizing their hands, which we know now wasn't true. Come on, how many times did you slather that booger-like crap on your hands when you walked into a store? Seems everyone was afraid not to. Meanwhile, people don't even want to think about what's happening at the other end of their cake hole. By the way, during all that COVID crap, I never accepted that glop on my hands. Never trusted it. In fact, I believed it made things worse. That sticky finger thing afterward, man... Didn't you just hate that? And when there was some employee there with some pump jar of that stuff standing at the door when you entered, I'd just say in Spanish, no thanks, I've got my own boogers. No gracias, tengo mis propios mocos. You know, boogers in Spanish is mocos, M-O-C-O-S. Anyway, when I'd say that, sometimes they laughed, sometimes they made a face, but they always accepted that answer and let me through. But once again, I digress. Man, did I digress. All right, how about this email from Edgar? He says, Johnny, about the all-American work ethic, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen Americans get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, hack the ice off their car or pickup truck, drive 50 miles or at least an hour in traffic, 
just to get to work and slave away at that thankless job. Then, after keeping one eye on the clock the entire day, it's quitting time. They drive home for another hour, in the dark. They get home totally exhausted or all worn out. Eat a tasteless dinner, binging on a Netflix series they won't even remember, two hours later. Both husband and wife are on the same trajectory, passing like two ships in the night. A few drinks on the weekend and sex if they're lucky. Then it's Monday morning again. That goes on for 50 weeks. Then it's two weeks vacation and you're back on the treadmill again. It's a ridiculous life, Johnny. It's not even a life. I'm 50 years old. I want out before I burn out. But my wife's not on the same page at all. He said, I told her I want to sign up for your March seminar. She said, no way. We're not going to spend our money on that crap. Johnny, she calls it crap, but she's never listened to your show. Not a single program. She's not interested. She's not interested in leaving the country at all, unless it's a quick vacation to a resort in Cancun. Johnny, a little help, please. I'm at the crossroads. What do I do? Signed, Edgar, Buffalo, New York. Okay, Edgar, thanks for that. Unfortunately, you're facing one of the big dilemmas I see when people decide to get their plan to be going and get down here to Latin America. When it's a couple, their desires and trajectories don't always match. Almost always, one person wants it more than the other. Statistics aren't great when it comes to couples. Often, in a few years, they crash and burn. I guess it's a lot like divorce statistics up in the States. 50% of people end up getting divorced within the first five years of marriage. Same thing happens when couples move down here to Latin America permanently. I'd say half or more end up splitting up within the first five to seven years. With one of them usually end up staying down here in Latin America and the other going back home to the States. Now, of course, I don't have any hard and fast statistics on that, but it's just from personal observation after being down here, well, a couple of decades now. Oh, and Edgar mentioned my Expat Insider Seminar. Next one's in March 2024. For all the details, sign-up information, agenda, etc., go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link. Hope to see you there, Edgar. And if you can drag your wife down, she's welcome too. All right, moving on. Here's an email from Peter J. He said, Johnny, you recently talked about a phenomena called passport bros. Apparently, there's a whole community of men up in the first world, Canada, Europe, etc., who've given up on dating first world women. American and first world women are just too difficult, they say. So they've stumbled on this website called Passport Bros, where they're trained up, so to speak, to get a passport and go to a third world country and find a lady. They talk about how the pickings are so much better in poor third world countries, with foreign ladies much less complicated than American ladies. Then Peter sends me a link to this article that came out just recently on Zero Hedge, offering further proof for the Passport Bros hypothesis. Basically, the article goes on to say that American ladies have way too much personal baggage and too many hang-ups, and dating standards so high that the average American guy just doesn't have a chance. That said, let me read a little bit of this article that came out from Zero Hedge just about a week ago. It says, A recent viral trend on social media in which women made a list of restaurants that they would refuse to eat at on a first date exemplifies the concept of hoflation. H-O-E-F-L-A-T-I-O-N, which is the basis of the complaints voiced by the website Passport Brothers. It goes on to say the Cheesecake Factory in the U.S. in particular was consistently mentioned as a red flag for so-called cheap men. American women would never want to date. 
That according to viral female social media trends, which claims a man should spend at least $200 or more as a bare minimum for a first date, with only 26% of American women indicating they will ever split a dinner tab with a guy on a date. He'd have to be an awful special keeper, a so-called Chad, C-H-A-D, for her to ever consider splitting the tab. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me look up that word Chad, C-H-A-D. Okay, here it is. It says in internet slang, the term Chad generally refers to an alpha male or otherwise genetically superior male. Handsome, tall, into fitness, a top five or ten percenter. Typically single in his late 20s or 30s. A lady's ideal version of a man. (laughs) I guess that leaves me out. So that's a Chad. C-H-A-D. Who'd have thunk? Anyway, the article goes on to say, Now, progressive women on first dates expect grand gestures of wealth and ambition from her date. Then it says, What feminism has done to the dating scene, essentially, is hyper-exaggerate women's natural inclination to seek out more productive men while also hyper-exaggerating their own sense of self-worth and making them unobtainable for the average man in the dating pool. Oh, and get this, it says, women who previously had nothing to offer have been inculcated with delusions of grandeur, so much so that the question of, quote, what do you bring to the table, unquote, is sneered at. Their response is, I am the table. There is no cure for this level of narcissism except hitting rock bottom, which is the outcome that Western women and society as a whole, is swiftly approaching, it says. Then it says, the worst problem in mating and dating is with Gen Z, having the largest deviation, fewer relationships, fewer dates, less sex and personal friendships, with the worst prospects in mating and dating and relationships in general. Of all generations studied, including boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Y and Z. It says, men of Gen Z have been hit with the brunt of the relationship minefield fallout, all in just one decade, pretty much ever since the advent of the iPhone. Well, you get the gist of it, right? Now, as for me, I've checked out those passport bro sites. And honestly, even though in some ways they have the right idea, you should see the guys who put that together and the people who go on that site. I'd say 90% of the guys on those sites are disaffected, undereducated losers. You can just look at those guys who post and you can see. Why the average American girl would reject guys like that. Just looking at them and listening to them, you can see they're not very good prospects for a family guy. Most of those guys are going nowhere. They've got their weird hairdos, multiple tats. Their English is terrible and peppered with street slang. They're almost exclusively lower middle class American men who want to punch way above their weight class in the mating and dating game in the United States, Canada, Europe, etc. First world ladies don't want a guy like that. They don't want a guy that works at Krispy Kreme or in a tire repair shop. The guys don't want to date an overweight couch potato or welfare queen. They don't want the average lady in their own weight class. They want to punch up. So there's a big gap, big mismatch there. And thus, for better or for worse, mostly for worse, sites like Passport Bros evolved. And they're attracting a huge following of disgruntled, mostly blue-collar American males. By the way, I've met a few of these guys here and there. Not to sound like a jerk, but the passport guys I've met, I wouldn't want to hang with. More on that in an upcoming show, so stay tuned. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.